0: The Joyce Kaufman podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.
1: There are just so many stories that uh, just crossed my, I guess, my consciousness today. But I always, we have such an intimate relationship you and I, the listeners and me. And I was trying to explain that to somebody the other day who was asking me, look, it sounds like a great job, right? And people say, oh, what do you work? One hour a day, ha! Huh? Or, or whatever. Yeah, oh, you got a, a nice career going. And they nobody has any idea exactly, first and foremost, how good a gig this is. But even more importantly, It's something that I would do anyway. So imagine it being your job. I'm sure like great chefs feel that way because they love to cook. And I know that musicians feel that way because they love to make music. And then if you find a way to actually make money doing something that you love, you know what they say, you'll never work a day in your life. And so I feel that way. But some days, like yesterday, you get up and you go like, I just want to pull my hair out and climb back under the covers. And so I didn't know what to expect today. This morning when I woke up at one thirty in the morning, I said, no, 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 this is way too early. Like if it's 3, I can kind of handle it. But 1.30, uh-uh. And I went into the living room because I don't want to bother my husband. And I have this kind of cough at night often. And it, it catches up to me. I go into the living room and I say to myself, I'm just going to open up some inspirational stuff. You know, uh, I didn't open the Bible, but I opened a, de- a devotional. And I said, and I'm not going to look at the news. I'm just not. It's 1.30 in the morning. If I start that, I'll never get any sleep. So I didn't start it. Of course, I didn't open a computer, which is, I, I'm just grateful that I had the foresight not to open a computer. So I read a little bit of a devotional I I thought about it. It sent me to a a passage of scripture in the New Testament. I read that. Um, I was prepared to do a Bible study tonight. So I just kind of looked that over. And then I went and I lay down and I I fell asleep. And I, I felt this is the way I need to do it always. God had a different plan. He was not satisfied. So at 3.15, eyes pop open. I'm about as awake as I'm ever going to be. My kitty cats are now not sure. Is it morning? Are we getting breakfast now? What's going on here? This is kind of strange. And I said, do yourself a favor and don't start doom scrolling. Just do it. But you know what? It's part of my job. It's what I do. So I just said, I'll keep it really simple. I'm just going to open up one Publication, one publication, that's all. And I'm just going to read a few articles and hopefully I'll be sleepy and I'll go back to sleep. Well, it was like the tornado hit me. And it wasn't that these were news stories that I haven't talked about or haven't thought about. They were very relevant and and previously discussed news stories, but I had a different perspective. And I don't always know where that perspective comes from. But the reason you listen to me is because sometimes I say exactly what you've been thinking and might not have anybody who's willing to listen to you, number one, or I say something you haven't been thinking and it triggers in you a desire to know more. That to me is a a great, uh, a great reason to do what I do. I would love to see that people think, just think there's plenty of opportunities to give your opinions, even if you're not a radio talk show host. You should be able to articulate your opinion at any time at the drop of a hat. And when people tell you, you talk about anything except religion and politics, I say talk about only religion and politics. What else are you supposed to talk about? I mean, the Oscars, the best movie, that stuff comes up once in a while and you give it a little, a little uh, acknowledgement, really. But it's not... What makes my life move the way that it moves. And my life moves at like lightning speed. There's no question about it. And I'm just so grateful that when I started to look, what I saw was confirmation of something that I have been writing about and planning to... Yeah, you know, my husband makes fun of me. Yeah, you've been writing this book forever. You wrote the first book and the second book and now the third book forever. Nobody ever sees them. It's not published. Why don't you just call it a journal, he said. And, and to some extent, I'm sure that that's what journaling looks like. But this one's a book. This one's a book because it's not about any particular event. It's about my overwhelming understanding that these are the Times, now don't get all, you know, crazy metaphysical or religious on you, but I have to tell you how I feel. These are the times that speak to, we may be running out of time. You know, the kind of things that are going on, when I look at these scenes just earlier, I saw a scene from New Orleans. Uh, The crime in the state of Louisiana is off the charts. It's been growing and getting worse, but now it's absolutely ridiculous. They can't retain, they can't recruit police officers. And Louisiana is a beautiful state, but you don't want to live there if crime is up 47%, which is the statistic that I just read. I look at what's going on in major cities. cities look, I'm not a big city girl anymore. I grew up in the biggest city, And it was very challenging. It's challenging for a little kid. It's challenging for an adult. But there's an excitement about it. And there's an understanding that the rest of the world is kind of moving at one pace. And you're moving at a completely different pace. So I look at what's going on in New York right now. And I don't even know. I don't want to call that my hometown. Things are so out of control. And it's a direct result of bad, bad governance. We have had leaders in this country who were exemplary, wonderful leaders, few and far between them, discovering. And then we've had these people that you, you just scratch your head and say, how did this person ever get into such a lofty position where they get to make decisions about everything that affects the rest of us? It's just mind boggling. Now, of course, I was happy that we stood in the way of some stupid ceasefire at the UN. Not that I think we stood in the way because we really have the desire to stand with Israel, but it's an election year, and they were not going to take that chance. That's been a winning formula for both parties support Israel when push comes to shove. Will it change? It's possible. I hope not, because that would really be the degradation of what little moral we have left. So I saw the uh, junior senator from Florida, Senator Rick Scott, and I have to say, I'm sure many of you feel this way, Senator Rick Scott was a person who barely made it onto my you know, screen for a long time, and then when he decided to run, I had to pay attention, and I liked what he was saying I saw some of the things that he'd been able to accomplish in the private sector, and then I also had to deal with the fact that there were a lot of people who came after him about how he dealt in the private sector. And healthcare is one of those arenas where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But I really parsed it and looked at Governor Scott, at the time, looked at Rick Scott, and thought, this guy's a great leader. He'll make a good governor if he has the support of a good legislature. And so I supported him, and it was rough because the guy is, uh, (laughs) he's not the easiest person to listen to or to interview. He's in his head most of the time, and his mouth can't keep up. But I'm glad I supported him for governor. I think he did a really good job. Could have been better, but it was really good. And these days, really good is like, (laughs) oh, I'm anxious to get a really good governor, right? I think our current governor is better than really good. But I don't know what's going on with him and his political future. Did he completely ruin it, as I suspect he might have, running for this presidency? I don't know. He's a young man. He's still got plenty of time to make up his mind. But our junior senator, Rick Scott, was mocking the vice president, Kamala. I'm I'm still like, is it Kamala, Kamala, whatever it is, Let's just call her uh, the borders are okay. So Rick Scott said that the vice president should be very interested in finding out whether or not Alejandro Mayorkas, our homeland security se- uh, secretary, whether he flouted federal immigration law or not. She was appointed as the borders are back in twenty twenty one. That means she was supposed to figure out how to stem the migration on our southern border. Is it a difficult task? Of course it is, but you're the vice president. You have unlimited resources. You have entire agencies that you can bring in. In accepting an appointment like that, you know that you got your work cut out for you. You know there's a need, and one would think she'd be a little more engaged than she is. Instead, it's just insane what's going on. The House approved impeachment by majority vote, but the Senate has to convict by a two-thirds majority. And the Senate President Pro Temp, who's Patty Murray out of Washington, is going to be receiving the articles tonight. And then she's going to oversee the Senate trial. Now, I don't think there's a, a, a prayer that they actually impeach Mayorkas, but there never was a more deserving cabinet member, in my opinion. And they had to do this. If Schumer kills it procedurally without a vote, that would be unprecedented. Not that I put it past them. Senator Langford, the uh, Republican from Oklahoma, he's busy beating up his own side of the team. And yeah, he's upset. Okay, well, everybody get over it. Can't be upset. Got to keep moving. So we'll see how this all shakes out. But that's what I woke up to. I woke up to this a real understanding that my job is to find a way out of the mess. Not that I have the power, but perhaps if I could construct the plan, somebody might listen very wishful thinking today don't blame me you know I have some kind of head colds I don't know what it is sinus infection chest cold and na- then something nasty something that this morning I had a physical reaction that I'd never had in my whole life and I remember I used to laugh at people who said oh yeah I, th- I was spitting a bile or threw a bile I didn't even know what bile was I learned this morning Anyway, don't forget to download the 850 WFTL app. That way you'll have access to all the news as it breaks. You'll have podcasts. You can listen on uh, on your time. You don't have to have any special uh, desire. You can hear the Unidentified Alien podcast, the Morning Show, my show, the No Restraint, Joyce Kaufman, No Restraint. It's a great app, and you get all these cool opportunities to win contests. And right now we got some tickets to Rib Roundup. Trust me, you want to go. So let me take a quick break um, and podcast.com. So, of course, the big news stories, and and before I go too much further, in the next segment, not this segment, I'll be talking with Andrew Gutman, and he is a candidate for the congressional seat currently held by Lois Frankel, so um, you will want to hear that. He wrote an editorial in the New York Post, which was fascinating. Um, But I wanted to talk about Alan Dershowitz, because I have like this Love hate relationship with Alan Dershowitz. I actually have a love hate relationship with far more politicians and pundits than I probably should. You know, it's not that important. But he and I got off to a really bad start over the uh, OJ Simpson trial, and he really just got bitter. And he was a lot bigger and more famous than I was at the time. It was early on in my career down here. And he like called up my bosses, which at the time I believe were Clear Channel, and he just like, he said, you gotta take her off the air. And I'm like, wait a minute. What happened to free speech? And he was mad because it we had both appeared on a talk show on television that I can't even remember the guy's name now. <laughs> he was uh, uh, like maybe third tier talk show guy, Charles. I know his name was Charles something. And I was on with, with uh, Alan Dershowitz and at one point I turned to him and I said, well let me ask you a question because he insisted that he had to represent O.J. Simpson. I said, well let me ask you a question. If Hitler were on trial and they came to you, would you represent him? And he said yes. And the face that I made could sink a thousand ships because I thought, really, I, I mean, why would you say that? You're a uh, esteemed Harvard professor, you're a, you know, a Jewish man and Hitler like couldn't couldn't you wait, let somebody else take that case? I, yeah, I know it's high profile and that's part of his he likes high profile cases. I get that. But so he got very disturbed because I said, well, you don't have to take it, you know, no lawyer has to take any case and then, oh boy, it was like a firestorm, and it went on for a couple of years. Wouldn't come on my show. He said that after he hung up, I continued to talk about him, which I did. I do that with all my guests. I give you a recap, and then I give you my opinion. Guess what? My show, my rules. Anyway, he was furious. Next thing I know, my son is a student at Harvard, undergraduate, and he's looking for a job, a part-time job, because in our household, if you wanted to you know, eat snacks, uh, don't look at me. I got your tuition, <laughs> undergrad, and your room and board, but no, 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 I'm not. I, if you want extra money, you want to go to the movies and stuff like that, get a little job. And he did. His first little job was actually at the um, the Jewish organization where he just sat at the front desk, which was ideal for him, he got to do his homework or whatever, and see all the people as they came in and out. And then the next year, he wanted a better position. He was thinking about law school, and he said, "I'm going to try and get an internship. I'm trying to get to see if I can work with Alan Dershowitz." I said, "Well, whatever you do, don't tell him you're my kid." And he said, "Why? Well, why can't I tell him you're a kid? I think that might help you. You know, you're." Uh, radio personality he may have heard of you I said oh yeah he has heard of me and he doesn't like me so just don't don't bring it up you know and he got the job now to this day my son says of course I brought it up and he rolled his eyes and and took me on anyway it's not like he was getting paid for this position I think he had some minimal stipend for expenses but it was a lot of work but he learned a lot he was drafting and completing all kinds of uh, legal paperwork and much of it is m- probably too tedious for uh, an Alan Dershowitz who at the time was the Frankfurter pr- professor at Harvard. Um, but it was a great learning ground for my son and at the end of the tenure of him doing that, he said to, uh, to Professor Dershowitz, he said, you know, my mother interviewed you years ago and said you two didn't get along. And he said, oh really, who was your mother? And he told him, and he says, oh, it's not that we didn't get along. It's just that she's a jerk. (laughs) So I thought that was great. It opened the door. I called him to be on my show, and he always would come on my show after that. Look, you know, he's entitled to call me a jerk. He's wrong, but he's entitled. Anyway, I just, I have seen Dershowitz go 360 sometimes. Obviously, he's a liberal. Obviously... He's been a long-standing Democrat. I don't think that's ever going to change, but I will tell you what's different. Alan Dershowitz loves the Constitution, and what he's watched happen is his party, his people, just fall away from the Constitution like anything but the Constitution seems to be their attitude. And so, you know, it's interesting to watch him try and maintain a position like that. The left hates him. The right starting to trust him a little bit, but they, they never know what's going to come out of his mouth when they put him on the air. Um, and, and you just, you watch the amount of interest when he is one of the experts. Look, I can say it. I, th- I have great respect for his knowledge. And it is amazing to me how... He has stood by Donald Trump, probably and doesn't like him, didn't vote for him, won't vote for him again, he insists, but doesn't like what's been done more than he doesn't like Donald Trump. And that's how everybody should feel. Anybody with any sense of decency should say it is unfair for the kind of attacks now, you know, four hundred and fifty million dollars there, put it in escrow, you know. Fortunately, Donald Trump can do that. But the fact that he's being forced to do it really makes me very upset. I would say angry, but I'm not angry because I think in the end, all this works together. They're making him a legend. I don't think they had any idea that the more they threw at him, the more the middle would come towards him. Look, so the people who support Donald Trump, people like me, they weren't going anywhere but the people who really weren't sure they were when you have the election handicapper nate silver who's got the 538 when he said if president biden doesn't reassure voters that he's capable of running a campaign he better get out of the way and let them select a new candidate or he's going to lose to trump and then he said something like personally i crossed the rubicon in november concluding that Biden should stand down if he wasn't going to be able to make a normal re-election campaign, meaning things like conducting interviews, which he hasn't done. He didn't even do the Super Bowl interview. But he's losing now, and they don't seem to have a plan to fix it. And if you just saw him walk into the uh, airplane, <laughs> you know that uh, it's going to be tough. They, 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 need a, they need a door. They need an exit. And I don't think they can find one. Anyway... I'm going to be talking with Andrew Gutman in just a few moments. Stay right where you are. This should be interesting, and I will be right back. Now, uh, Andrew Gutman is a gentleman who, when I first met him, I I had a sit-down with him and asked him, you know, what is it that makes you want to run for Congress? Because he was a a successful person. This was not something that I think he had really uh, ever considered, He's even got a podcast now, Take Back Our Schools in Palm Beach County, Florida. He's a congressional candidate. He's tackling uh, the the woman with the endless campaign funds, Lois Frankel. But there's something about him, and it's not just a letter to Brearley. So Andrew Gutman is my guest right now. And Andrew, I read the editorial that you wrote in the New York Post, and here, the, the final line of it was the most important line of it, which is our country's survival depends on this, on us getting courage and speaking up and fighting back. So how are you doing?
0: I'm great, Joy, thanks so much for having me on. And mm-hmm. I'm glad you picked up on that on that last line because we have lost our education system in this country and that's really what you know my piece was about and it was in response to a front page article, A1, cover article in the New York Times uh, about what's going on in California public schools that's being pushed out to K-12 schools all across the country, which is fundamentally leftist activism based in critical race theory, which they finally admit. And we're losing our kids. And mm-hmm. when we lose our kids, we lose this country. And it's something that, you know, I've been fighting for for three years, uh, now running for Congress. Is, and this really, you know, is my story. It's not the only issue. But we've got to speak up. We've got to have more parents to speak up, find the courage take back our schools, take back our country.
1: Well, you know, the problem is, and I think that there are many good-hearted and serious parents out there who are terrified. They immediately, if you raise your voice and say, I don't think that we should be teaching kids that some are oppressors and some are victims, uh, that that really shouldn't fall under the purview of reading, writing, and r- arithmetic. But they immediately get you know, lambasted and called all kinds of names. Now, you and I, the names don't bother us. But for the average mom who's got three kids from grades two to nine, she can't afford to have all the people at school look at her like she's that crazy lady?
0: Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. Parents are absolutely scared. They don't want to be called racist or homophobic in, you know, responding to this, you know, ideology that's in the schools. And we saw this. Uh, you know, in, in New York City with our daughter at a very prestigious private school where more than half of the families were very upset with what was the complete change of mission. It became an anti-racist school, which means they adopted this very, very progressive, leftist, anti-racist ideology, and nobody else would speak up for exactly the reasons that you described. They're afraid to do it. They don't want to lose their friends. They don't want to private school. You don't want your kids to be kicked out of school. You don't want to lose the path to you know, elite universities, which are just as bad. And so it's a big problem to try to get other parents to speak up. But like we started this conversation, we need people to do it. We need to get the message out because it's really, really scary what's going on in our education system. And the same ideology, call it woke, progressive, whatever you want to call it, leftist, has taken over not just education, but almost every institution of our country.
1: Yeah. And I think that when we were looking at it at the academic level, college and grad school, Um, we could kind of back away and say, well, at that point, this is an adult and they should be able to uh, listen to something that's ridiculous and know it's ridiculous. But five-year-olds and 10-year-olds are being fed this garbage. They have no idea it's being fed to them. You know, Palestinians are like Native Americans, like settler colonialists. I mean, America has to be the least settler colonialist country ever,
0: hundred percent. I mean, they compare Zionism and the creation of Israel to the history of slavery. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really crazy. And I do think post-October 7th, and we talked about this, I think, a few months ago on the show, you know, people are starting to wake up. We've seen donors of elite universities after the testimony in Congress of the presidents of Harvard and Penn and MIT start to wake up. But you're exactly right. It's one thing to teach this in universities to 20-year-olds. It is a very, very different thing to indoctrinate kindergartners, five-year-olds, that that's not recoverable. And that's exactly what's happening throughout our K-12 education system. And I know a lot of us here in Florida, you know, we fled. We're political refugees from New York. We came here for the free state of Florida. And a lot of people think, okay, in Florida, we're not doing that here. But this is really endemic to public schools and even very many private schools in every state. Yes. So it's something that we've really got to start fighting back on.
1: Yeah. Listen, I have my friend, Abigail Schreier, who had uh, wrote the first real expose on this whole transgender craze and how young people were getting swept up. And she's got a new book out called Bad Therapy. And I'm telling you, this is the stuff that we better start handing that book out to parents to let them know that, you know, all of this garbage medicine that we're putting little boys on because they won't sit still in a classroom is leading us into a terrible situation where these kids don't have any ability to uh, get excited without some medication or to calm down without some medication. And it's just a tragedy. And trust me, I was a teacher and I know what it's like to have a classroom full of kids and you, know, you have one or two that's always misbehaving. The, in the past, we didn't knock them out with drugs you know, I, I, I didn't – I had to go to the principal's office a few times, and we, they used a ruler back then. But you know what? I, I understood that my behavior could be monitored and controlled. We don't give them any chance to learn that.
0: No, I mean, over medication of kids is an enormous problem. But, but what you said is right also, I mean, the gender ideology well, that is being – you know, that our kids and, and girls are especially are susceptible to this – in our schools because it starts with sex ed curriculum in the very early grades where they start to introduce alternative genders and pronouns and it's okay to dress differently. And then the kids, as they get older between the schools and social media get indoctrinated into this. Uh, It's really, really scary what's happening. I I do a podcast, as you mentioned, we had on a guest uh, recently named Jamie Reed. She was the very first person to be a whistleblower at one of these very big gender clinics. And she got a lot of publicity for this about six or nine months ago. This is a woman that is a lesbian married to a trans man, self-described to the left of Bernie Sanders. But what she saw happening to kids and girls especially was so scary that she said she had to speak up. Uh, This gender clinic thought it was going to have, it was brand new, but they thought they'd have 50 kids. The first mm-hmm. year, they wound up having 1,600, mm-hmm. and this is the social contagion, and it really starts with the schools, and then when the kids get on social media, uh, they just get indoctrinated. It's really, really scary and terrifying what's going
1: on. It is, and it's so deeply embedded. I mean, a lot of people think that they've escaped it because they're down here in Florida. But then I look at uh, some of the curriculum, and that was my, what I did for years was design curriculum, and I look at how it's embedded in everything, this critical race theory. Whatever subject, it's not just social studies, it's math. How do you insert that into math? But they manage.
0: Well, I wrote in the piece, uh, Mm. you know, one of the most prestigious boarding schools in the country, Phillips Exeter Academy in New Mm. Hampshire, teaches a class called Mathematics of Social Justice. Uh Rice University Uh, you know, often called the Harvard of the South. They just got a lot of media recently for offering a brand new class called astrochemistry. So a lot of people, you're right, think this, well, maybe it's in history, fine. Maybe it's in English literature, fine. But this leftist activist ideology has infiltrated every subject of our schools. And, you know, I said this in the piece. Schools say they teach English and math and history and science. They don't anymore. Mm -hmm. What they're doing is they're using those subjects. They're using English and history and math and science as a prop to foster a political education, to indoctrinate our kids in very leftist ideology, anti-capitalist, anti-American, anti-Judeo-Christian values. And, and that's what's happening. And we've got to start taking these schools back.
1: Yeah. And, and one of the ways we do that in, in this fight is you've got to have parents who are willing to go to school board meetings, parents who are willing to run for the school board, parents who are willing to run for Congress. And like I said earlier in my introduction, I've met Andrew Gutman. This is not something he needed to do. I don't think he really wanted to do it. But when you see what's going on and you realize that you're one day gonna have to answer for why you sat, you sat by and let it happen. There's a lot of power in parents, as they learned in Loudoun County in Virginia, and yep. and and we have got to exercise that even here in the free state of Florida. So how is the campaign going? What's what's the latest news?
0: No, it's going very well because this you know this message resonates. My story really meso- uh, resonates. You know, I knew a lot of those parents in the parents movement in northern virginia in laden county and fairfax county that were very active in help getting glenn youngkin elected on the backs of that parents movement and look you and i've talked about this before and i know you feel the same way we're, we're not just losing this country we're losing western civilization yeah. and you know my letter happened it went viral i never expected it to happen it was read by millions of people it helped ignite this this whole parents movement and at that time i said i can't do nothing i've mm-hmm. got to fight we've can't lose our country we can't lose western civilization and when we moved down here to Palm Beach County and I spoke about this and was asked to run I said you know what no I never had political aspirations I never thought this was something I do I don't particularly like politicians but we've got to have good people that understand what's at stake that are willing to stand up at whatever level and you're absolutely right from school board all the way up to you know president and everything in between that are willing to fight for American values because there's just not enough people that are willing to do that so that's that's my mission and the story has really resonated with with the voters i speak to with the donor community that i speak to so it's going really well
1: yeah so your donors are you've got donors and and the money part cuz you know i told you from the very beginning the most depressing thing to me when i deal with the up and coming candidates is to tell them the reality is if you cannot raise money you cannot participate in this process we don't have that kind of an election system anymore not to mention we have so much uh, fraud and all this, right. you know, ballot harvesting and 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 people. You've got to be, you got to be ready for the fight, Andrew. You looked ready when I last saw you. Are you still that ready? Uh,
0: we, we, this is a fight we cannot lose.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm
0: as committed. I I promised a lot of people. I got five thousand emails from people all across the country after my letter, and I made a promise. I would devote the rest of my life to trying to save this country and Western civilization. And you're absolutely right about the money because, you know, Lois Franco, who's a longtime incumbent here, had been mayor of West Palm Beach before that. She's Nancy Pelosi's best friend. Mm-hmm. They can, the Democrats can raise an unlimited amount of money. And the only way we can win this is if we can match them on that. And that's, you know, that's sadly, that's so much a part of running for Congress or running for any political office these days. But we've been very successful doing that so far. I hope it'll continue. I think it will. Um, but we've got to be able to match what the Democrats do. And, and that includes things like you know, aggressive, you know, ballot harvesting where it's legal and, you know, all the things that the Democrats are, are historically better at in terms of winning elections. I uh, call it cheating. or call it winning. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, the candidate on top is the one that won. we got to be willing to do the same thing. So, yes, the fight is still in need because this fight is too important, not to.
1: Yeah, I agree. Always a pleasure talking with you, Andrew. Thanks so much for checking in. I'm sure we'll be talking again soon.
0: I look forward to it. It's always very fun to be on here. Thanks so much, Chris
1: uh, Well, give out the website so people can get, can, can get involved.
0: Yeah. Andrew, Andrew com G U T M A N N one C two com, And I really appreciate it. Reach out.
1: All right. Take care, Andrew. Appreciate your time. All right. Well, listen, you know, there are people who understand that this fight is for the long run. I mean, I'm not willing to give up on this country. That's why I can get up at 1.30 in the morning and even if I play around and don't immediately start looking at stuff, by 3 o'clock I'm already, what's going on? And How can I help? That's the secret. He asked himself, how can I help? When that letter he had written to the administration at Brearley in New York when so many people just could relate to what he said, and wanted to reach out, that's the beginning of any great movement. So I'm grateful that uh, I got to know him early on. Don't forget that coming up after me is Eric Erickson, followed by Joe Paggs, uh, Lars Larson, The Overnight Guys, uh, Red Eye Radio, and then at 6 a.m., Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show, followed by Brian Kilmead at 9 o'clock, that man just never stops, does he? Followed at noon by Dan Bongino. And then at 3 o'clock, I'll be back. But I have one segment left today, so please, please don't leave me yet. This is going to be a quick week. Last week seemed interminable. It was just, it went on forever. Maybe it was just me. But uh, I, I do have to share with you a story that I did allow myself to read and and, and just sort of marinate in the idea in my head. Sometimes it makes me laugh how scientists think that when they say something, it's a landmark and everybody has to sit up and pay attention. This was the headline this morning. Men and women's brains do work differently. Scientists discover for the first time. Duh. How how much money did you need to spend on that experiment? And it, it's pretty clear to me, and I think anybody else who's ever been in a relationship with someone of the opposite gender, although these days, I don't know, how many genders are there? Uh, I, th- I say two, but apparently there could be up to, I don't know, a million. Who knows what they're going to come up with. But there's some very different aspects to how the brain operates in a man and in a woman, it, it was clear to me this morning in my own house, because my husband can get something in his head, and then will be incapable of hearing anything further that I might have to say that is contrary to what he believes. Now, he's not mean about it, but he is so stubborn about things, and. I know I can be a bit stubborn too with what I do for a living. I you know, I have to hold on to my opinion and guard it and be zealous about presenting it. But it's so different like I don't feel like it's disrespecting me if you don't agree with me. I may think you're not that smart. You know, but it's kind of like, you know, Alan Dershowitz thinking I'm a jerk. He's entitled to think that? I know I'm not a jerk. He knows I'm not a jerk but those terms that we throw around, really, stop taking them so seriously. Yes, men and female brains are distinct. Why that would be controversial, but apparently it is. It's biology. And to say there's never been definitive proof of difference in activity in the brains of men and women, well, guess what? At Stanford University, my daughter's alma mater, they have proven that it is possible to tell the sexes apart based on activity in hotspot areas. Uh-oh, now what are we going to do? Are you, you mean to tell me that if people are not operating in the masculine hotspot, they're a girl? whoa. This whole neurological center for self and introspection and retrieving personal memories. Oh my gosh, we were right all along. Like really, the limbic system now, the the brain differences influence how males and females view themselves. No kidding. Did you ever tell a guy we're going out to dinner, put on something nice for him to show up in pretty much the same thing the same sweatpants that he's been wearing all day and in lieu of maybe a polo shirt he has opted for a t-shirt that doesn't say something really outrageous and now he's done he's considered himself <laughs> well dressed you tell a woman you know dress kind of nicely we're going out to dinner she's in the closet for like 45 minutes i'm, I'm like trying and discarding and where's the shoes and do I have a purse? Oh, please. Yeah, men and women are different. How do you like that? The findings suggest that differences in brain activity patterns across these key brain regions contribute to sex-specific variations in cognitive functioning. I did not need Stanford to figure that out. So I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, just listen to me and you won't need all these stupid studies. Uh, My plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock, if it be his will and he delays his coming, what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then of course, may God bless you. May God bless Israel. And may God bless the United States of America. My plan, again, is to be back here tomorrow at three.
0: Be well.